Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you going? Good. I hope you're traveling well. It's wonderful to be together again. And I uh, want to add my warm welcome to anyone joining us today for the first time. If we've never met before, my name is Tim. And it's a pleasure to welcome you to church today. And as always, a big warm welcome to everyone joining us online as well. Good to have you tuned in for this conversation. Now, as uh, all of you know, life in the 21st century has certainly a unique set of challenges for us to navigate. And perhaps one of the most perplexing and pervasive challenges is the one that exists around the role that technology plays in our lives, and particularly mobile web technology. Uh, with the advent of smartphones and laptops and iPads and various other types of devices, Life has changed considerably over the last two decades. In fact, there are currently 7.3 billion people on the planet who own a mobile device, own a mobile phone. That's 91% of the human population. That means there are more people on planet Earth with a mobile phone than people who have access to clean drinking water or a toilet. That's pretty staggering when you think about it that way. And it's changing the way we work, the way we live, the way we communicate, the way we connect, the way we transact, the way we relate. And so we're talking today about the intersection of this technology and our spirituality and the impact that it's having on our lives, our hearts, and the heart of our homes. Um, I remember a, a number of years ago when my daughter was about four years old, I was sitting on the couch watching TV one night and I heard her in the living room next door having an argument, like a heated exchange. And it suddenly occurred to me that her brother was in his bedroom and my wife was in the kitchen and I thought to myself, who is she arguing with? And so I quickly jumped up and I went to the living room next door and she was sitting on the carpet and she had opened my wife's iPad and she was arguing with Siri. Now she had no idea who Siri was or what Siri was, but she activated it and <laughs> she was trying to tell Siri to shut up. And Siri was saying, I don't know what you are saying, right? And they were having this kind of heated exchange and it suddenly like occurred to me, my word, our kids are growing up in a completely different world to the one in which I grew up and, and many of you grew up as well. So there's no doubt about it that life in the 21st century has changed considerably for us. I, I remember growing up as a kid, if, if we had a family meeting, all we would simply do is kind of gather around the dining room table at dinner time and we would talk. And my parents would kind of call the family meeting that way. Today, if you want to have a family meeting, you've got to go into the room where the Wi-Fi modem is located and you've got to turn it off. And then you've got to wait for 60 seconds. And then all the family kind of converge on that room looking very annoyed and frustrated. That's how you gather the family these days, right? So life for us in the 21st century is, is very different. Now, I'm not a Luddite, like I'm not anti-technology. It's, it's obvious that all of this technology has significantly improved our lives in so many ways. Uh, life is better. It's faster. It's simpler. It's more convenient. But make no mistake about it, the advent of all this technology has profoundly impacted us in, in some obvious ways and some not so obvious ways. And so today we're talking about responding to this new reality of technology and the role that it plays in our lives with particular emphasis on its intersection with our spirituality in this message that I've titled Virtues and Devices. And I'm structuring this conversation today around what I call the seven deadly digital sins. The seven deadly digital sins. I'm, I'm pretty sure most of you, if not all of you, would have heard of the traditional cardinal sins, right? Um, I wonder if you know what they are. Lust, greed, gluttony, wrath, sloth, 
envy and pride. All right, those are the seven traditional cardinal sins. Uh, you've probably done all of them, right? Lust, greed, gluttony, wrath, sloth, envy, and pride. Well, today I want to suggest to you that there are seven deadly digital sins that are equally as detrimental and harmful. And like their cardinal or traditional counterparts, they are to be avoided. And I want to identify what they are and talk about how we avoid them. And so if you're ready to go, let's dive in. I want to encourage you to take lots of good notes because I'm going to move quickly. We have a lot of ground to cover. And the first of these deadly digital sins is distraction. Distraction. Right. Digital distraction is by definition an inattention to the reality around you caused by a fixation with your digital device. Right, let me say that again if you're writing it down. By definition, digital distraction is an inattention to the reality around you caused by a fixation with your digital device. And it has a wide range of consequence. Everything from people walking into street poles to bumper bashings to marriages ending in divorce. Right? Digital distraction. In fact, do you know that there's some really interesting research out that says that texting while you're driving will cause you to be eight times more likely to have an accident. And any form of mobile device use in the car while you're driving will set you up for a four-time higher probability for having an accident. Uh, not too long ago, some of you might recall that the Transport Authority of our country ran a nationwide campaign on the, the danger of digital distraction while driving. And their tagline was, Know the distance of distraction. Know the distance of distraction. And I love that phrase because it, reply, it applies to more than just driving. Digital distraction can create distance between you and the people you love. It can create an emotional distance, a relational distance, a, a cognitive distance between you and the people that you are wanting to connect with. I, I remember once sitting on the couch in the living room, and I was going through my phone, and my daughter was younger at the time. She must have been about three or four, and, and, and I was obviously distracted and disengaged by what I was doing. And she was trying to get my attention, and I wasn't aware of it. And eventually, in frustration, she climbed up onto the couch, and she literally jumped on my lap, and she grabbed me by my ears. And she pulled my head up off the phone, and she said, Dad, listen to me, right? And it was like a wake-up call for how quickly and how easily I can be not present for the people that I love because I'm engaged in digital distraction. Uh, someone once said that social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter are weapons of mass distraction. And I think that's true. And, and like weapons, they can do a lot of damage. So if distraction is the vice, then attention is the virtue. You see, for every one of these digital sins, for every one of these vices, there's a corresponding virtue. And the vices are to be avoided and the virtues are to be pursued. And so if distraction is the first vice, then attention is the first virtue. And how many of you know one of the greatest gifts you can give anybody in life is the gift of your undivided attention? It is such a precious commodity, right, in our heavily distracted world. And it's what I love about God. I know I've said this to you before, but I, I love the fact that we serve an attentive God. Every time you put your attention on God, you immediately become aware His attention is already on you. You never have to beg God to put down His phone. You never have to grab God by the ears and shake His head until He looks at you. We serve an attentive God, and your attention is one of the most valuable gifts you have. So that means the next time somebody in your family 
or in your friendship circle is trying to start a meaningful conversation with you, the next time somebody talks to you, put down the phone. Turn off the TV. Close the laptop. And give them your undivided attention. Give them your eye contact because they are worthy of it. Um, over in the Bible's New Testament book of 2 John chapter 1, verse 12, and you, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, what on earth does a first century scriptures have to say about this reality in the 21st century world? But I think what you'll be surprised to discover is how much of the principle-centered wisdom of God actually speaks so profoundly to the reality that you and I are navigating in the 21st century. So listen to what John says in 2 John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. You see, paper and ink was like the technology of the first century that is equivalent to the technology of our modern communication capacity. Paper and ink was what enabled people to communicate their ideas widely with people who were not in their personal space. And, and that technology was as revolutionary in its day as our technology is in our day. But notice what John is saying. John's saying, I don't want to just simply rely on the convenience of the technology that I have at my disposal. I want to see you face to face. I want to be in the same room with you. I want to go eye to eye and heart to heart. Because friends, as long as you and I are human, there is always going to be something about eye-to-eye, heart-to-heart, face-to-face, contact and connection and conversation that is always going to be more valuable and more powerful and irreplaceable. And so John says, I want to be with you and see you so that my joy can be truly made complete. So you can overcome the distance of distraction by giving your loved ones your undivided attention. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Number two, the second deadly digital sin is deviance. Deviance. And deviance is, by definition, diverging from usual or accepted standards and norms, especially in social and sexual behavior. Let me say that again in case you're writing it down. Deviance, by definition, is diverging from usual or accepted standards or norms, especially in social or sexual behavior. You see, part of the problem of living in this mobile web tech world is you and I have 24-7 accessibility and privacy. That means you can be doing things you should not be doing on your phone in the comfort of your living room and in the company of your own family, and they would be none the wiser. And that could be everything from surfing pornography to connecting with strangers on Snapchat to flirting with old boyfriends and girlfriends from high school on Facebook to online gambling. And all of it can be done quickly, silently, and secretly from the comfort of your own living room and in the company of your own family and friends. And nobody would even know. I remember a number of years ago helping a couple who had come to see me for counseling who were struggling in their marriage because their, the husband in this relationship had racked up $60,000 in credit card debt through online gambling. And here's the thing about gambling, right? Back in, back in the old days, if you wanted to place a bet on a horse or on a game, you had to leave your house, drive down to the local bookie, put some money on the table, and very publicly make a bet. 
Well, today you can do it with three clicks of a mouse and two flicks of your finger. And nobody would even know. That's the convenience of deviance today. So it's potentially destructive and damaging. And if deviance is the vice, then integrity is the virtue. I like the way King David expressed the, the importance of this particular virtue in Psalm 101, verse 2 to 4. And bear in mind, David is now writing this on the other side of one of the most painful life lessons he ever learned. David learned how detrimental reacting or behaving against the value of integrity can really be. You know the story of his adultery with Bathsheba and all the pain that it caused him and his family. Well, on the other side of that, he writes these words. In Psalm 101, verse 2 to 4, he says, I will be careful to live a blameless life. I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar, and I will reject perverse ideas and stay away from evil. Right? David had come to realize that the virtue and the value of integrity is a shield. It's a defense. It's a protection. Now, when it comes to navigating this particular temptation, there are so many things that you and I can do practically that are so helpful. Like you can put filters on your browser, and you should. You can activate your safe search option. You can activate your parental controls on that subscription streaming account that you have. You can set up like relationships of accountability and, and, and partnership where people hold you accountable for your online habits. You can allow people to see your online activity, right? There are so many things that you and I can do and should do at a practical level that can help build external defenses around our lives. In fact, I've got a friend who's kind of struggling really um, seriously in this area at the moment, and he told me the other day that he has sold his smartphone and he's gone back to the Nokia 6310, <laughs> right? That has no kind of web access capability so that he can't search anything jotty. Now, that, that's pretty radical, right? But I'm like, hey, whatever you need to do, do it, okay? The point is, you can put all these external defenses in place, and they're good and they're necessary, by all means do them. But those external defenses are never going to be as powerful or effective as the internal defense of integrity in the heart. Integrity in the heart is like antivirus software for your soul. When you cultivate integrity, when you prioritize integrity, when you nurture integrity inside of your heart, it becomes an internal defense that will protect your heart against the convenience of 21st century deviance. All right, so if deviance is the vice, then integrity is the virtue. All right, number three, the third deadly digital sin is the sin of comparison comparison and oh my gosh what an easy trap this is to fall into uh, somebody once said that comparison is measuring your progress against somebody else's goals I think that's true measuring your progress against somebody else's goals um, you see the problem with social media for example is that a lot of people you know choose to post the highlight reel of their lives so they, they put the best moments, the most enjoyable moments, their favorite moments, and in all their moments, they kind of look to be the happiest and the most fulfilled. And the, the mistake that you and I make is we then tune into that feed, and we look at what they're posting, and they always look happy, and their kids always look happy, and their work looks like it's always going well, and their spouse always looks amazing, and then, and then you think to yourself, well, I must be failing. 
I must be falling short because my life doesn't look like that. And what you end up doing is you compare your reality to their ideality. And when you compare your reality to their ideality, you set yourself up for disappointment and discouragement. And it's not a fair comparison. And that is why I love this exhortation from Paul, uh, the apostle, writing again in the first century in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. And listen to this sage word of advice. He says, for we dare not compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. I love that. That is great advice, right? It was great advice 2,000 years ago, and it's great advice today. Paul is saying, do not make the mistake of comparing yourself with people who validate themselves, promote themselves, commend themselves, celebrate themselves. Just don't do it. Because when you do that, when you compare yourself with people who promote themselves, you are, you are comparing yourself with an untrue and an incomplete reality. Because I guarantee you, they are not showing you their true selves or their whole selves. So it is not a fair comparison. And you are ultimately just going to end up leaving yourself feeling like you are less than what you truly are, that you are somehow not measuring up, right? Don't ever compare the movie of your life with somebody else's snapshot. Um, I love what Paul says over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. This is the same Apostle Paul writing, and he says, Pay careful attention to your own work, your life, your vocation, your calling, your purpose, your reason for being, right? For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Right? Paul's saying don't fall into the comparison trap. Don't compare yourself with people who promote themselves and commend themselves and celebrate themselves. He says, put your time and energy into focusing on your calling, your work, your vocation, your gift, what it is that God has made you to be. You know why? Because you are unique in every way. There is no one who can occupy the space in the universe that you occupy. And no one has been graced and gifted and wired the way you have been graced and gifted and wired. So why on earth? Would you want to be a cheap imitation of somebody else? Right? If two of us are identical, one of us is unnecessary. It's true. So why would you want to be a cheap imitation of somebody else? The world needs you. God wants you. So how about you take all your time and energy and put it into being the truest and the most authentic and the best version of you that you can be? rather than trying to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. Because ultimately, what we want and what we need is you. People want you, all right? So if comparison is the vice, then contentment is the virtue. In other words, be content, be at peace, be at rest, be satisfied with who God has made you to be, what God has made you to be, how God has gifted you, the purpose and reason He's given to you for being. Embrace it. Know it, love it, accept it, and be content in it because contentment is the virtue that is the antidote to the vice of comparison. Amen. All right, number four, the fourth deadly digital sin is the sin of outrage. Oh my gosh, isn't this a problem in our world today? Um, as you know, we live in the age of opinion. And by that, I don't mean people have opinions for the first time. People have always had opinions, right? We all have our opinions and we're entitled to our opinions. But what we have for the first time in human history is that not only does everybody have an opinion, but everyone has the power and the permission to share their opinion widely. 
right? If you think about it like a hundred years ago, if you wanted to share your opinion with the masses, you had to earn the right to do so by being qualified. Like if you were going to get up on a platform like this, you have to earn the right to be there. If you were at a scientific convention, the people on the platform would be scientists, qualified scientists. If you were at a theological convention, the people on the platform would be qualified theologians. In other words, you didn't get to just get on a mic and share your opinions with the world. You had to earn the right to do so. Well, today we live in a world where all you need is an IP address and you've got a platform. Everyone's got a platform. And now everyone has the power and the permission to share their opinions widely and freely. Now, that's not always a bad thing. Because when good ideas go viral, the world becomes a better place. But not every idea should go viral. <laughs> not every opinion is a good one. And not every opinion is rooted in educated fact, right? And so people have the ability now to share their opinions. And of course, the other challenge with this is that because we can freely share our opinions so widely, and because so often the people who are on the receiving end of our opinions are far removed from us because of the distance that exists in the cyber world, we become desensitized to the impact that our opinions have. And so that emboldens us to kind of be more assertive, more aggressive, more vitriolic in the way we share our opinions. And so you've seen this online, right? There's just, there's just rampant outrage, like intense anger. I, I'm talking about like verbal harassment, bullying in the online world because people feel like they can say whatever they want to say and they don't have to worry about the impact or the consequence on the people they're saying it to because they don't have to look them in the eye. They don't have to deal with the relational fallout because those people might be on the other side of the world. And so people feel this kind of heightened sense of freedom or permission to just say whatever they want and not care about the consequence, right? So that is outrage. But listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in James chapter 1, verse 9. He said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. In other words, James is saying, you want to neutralize your anger? You got to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Zip your lip, bite your tongue, take a step back, think before you post, pray before you comment, breathe before you reply, right? I mean, I don't know how many times, tell me if this has been true for you, how many times I've typed up something in the comment box to reply to something in a thread, and just before I'm about to hit send, voice of the Holy Spirit, don't you dare, <laughs> right? And then I take a step back, put down the phone, and I breathe, and I pray, and I think, and I'm always glad that I did, right? We live in an age of outrage, and you are either going to pour fuel onto the fire of that outrage and that anger, or you can pour cold water on it with self-control. If outrage is the vice, then self-control is the virtue. And that is what James is encouraging us to hear. Self-control, self-control. All right, number five, the fifth deadly digital sin is compulsion. Compulsion. And compulsion is simply uncontrolled behavior, right? It's instinctive behavior. That's what compulsion is. So in the context of this conversation, it's the unconscious pickup, right? Uh, the irresistible urge to just simply pick up your phone or your device, 
for no other reason than it's there. Not because it vibrated or it rang, but just simply because this thing is never more than one and a half meters away from your body, generally speaking, right? doesn't matter where you go. You can go into a meeting. You can go to the toilet. You can watch TV. You can go to bed. This little sucker is going to be one and a half meters away from you. 99% of the time. So what happens is you and I subconsciously, without thinking too much about it, just pick it up. Now, if I asked you how many times on average do you pick up your phone a day, what do you think the answer to that question might be? 10 times? 20? 30? What do you reckon? Rowan? 100. Yeah, that's you, but you're strange. All right? 70 on average, 70 times a day. The average adult will pick up their phone for no other reason than just it's there. And you'll get sucked into the distraction that it provides, right? And there's no doubt about it that our, our mobile phone usage is both mind-altering and mood-affecting, particularly when it's compulsive and it's done without intentionality. It can be incredibly disruptive. In fact, there is a, there's a known psychological phenomenon that is referred to as sleep texting. And sleep texting is what happens when people who have their mobile devices next to their bed, because most people do, pick it up in the middle of the night while they are sleeping. And they begin to text random messages to whoever happens to be in the, in the contact. Now, most of the time, those messages are like incoherent, right? Because they're just typing in their sleep. But can you imagine texting your boss at 3 o'clock in the morning, some kind of random incoherent message? That could be limiting to your career. That could be disruptive to his opinion of you or her opinion of you. So the point is, the mindlessness and the thoughtlessness of that behavior can be incredibly destructive and disruptive. So if compulsion is the vice, intentionality is the virtue, right? If mindlessness is the vice, then thoughtfulness is the virtue. And I love what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. He says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Right, Paul's saying I should never allow my life to be driven and dictated by the force of something outside of myself other than the Spirit of God. If you allow your life to be driven by a substance or by a, a, a behavior or by a habit or by your device in this kind of thoughtless, uncontrolled, subconscious kind of way, you become a slave to your phone. And I wonder if you consider your own behaviors for a moment or perhaps the behaviors of the people in your world. Is it possible that we are enslaved to our devices? If so, intentionality is the key to breaking the hold, all right? And there are many things that you can do to break the bad habits around your device usage. So maybe, for example, consider having a no-phone zone in the house. We did this with our kids for many years. We said to them, no devices in their bedrooms. They could be on their devices, but they could only be on their devices in the living spaces, in the public spaces where we were around that we could see. No devices in the bedroom. Well, you could, you could declare your dining room to be a no-phone zone. And every time the family meets in the dining room, no phones allowed in that space. It's a great way of intentionally breaking the habit of being attached to your device. What about a no-phone time during the day? What if you said, all right, between, you know, like 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Or between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m., no phone, no checking email, no surfing the internet, just Put it away and don't engage with it. And no phone time. What about not charging your phone next to your bed? Could you charge it somewhere else? Could you move it to another room? 
could you buy yourself one of the old-fashioned alarm clocks next to your bed so that you don't need your phone? What about having device-free dinners? Have your family and friends around and have everybody put their device in a box and put it away in a cupboard, right? Not face down on the table. That doesn't count, right? Because you can still hear it vibrate. It can still be distracting. What about a device-free dinner? What about a digital detox? Have you ever thought about going off social media for a month? Would you last? <laughs> Would you survive? Some of you are like, I can't get off TikTok for like a day. What are you talking about, right? Yeah, it's addictive. It's addictive. So maybe you need a detox. Maybe you need to go cold turkey. Maybe you need to take some time off, all right? So if compulsion is the vice, intentionality is the virtue. All right, let's move on. Digital deadly sin number six, second last one, is misrepresentation misrepresentation. And the fact of the matter is now more than ever before, you and I have the ability through filters and editing tools and AI content generators to so manipulate and curate our online persona that it can end up setting a standard that we ourselves are not even able to maintain. You can literally make yourself taller, shorter, lighter, darker, thinner, bigger, whatever it is you want to be. You can put yourself anywhere in the world with anyone in the world. You can manipulate and curate an online persona that is so far removed from your real life that it almost becomes unrecognizable, right? And there's lots of this misrepresentation going on uh, in the world right now. You see it when your friends kind of post their reels and uh, you look at them and you think, my gosh, you look about 20 years younger than when I saw you last week, right? Because they've got, a, they've got one of those kind of improvement filters on their face. It's what I call the insta-scam phenomenon, right? Um, it, it's, it's misrepresentation. Listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 from the Message Translation. He says, we refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. We don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display. The truth of who we are, for better or for worse, all that we are, so that those who want can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, we so highly value authenticity that we are going to put our lives on display for everyone to see. We're not hiding anything. We're not manipulating, we're not deceiving, we're not misleading. This is the truth of who we are, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, all our warts and all our blemishes. We're not out to trick you or mislead you. We're not going to misrepresent ourselves before you. We value authenticity. And so if misrepresentation is the vice, then authenticity is the virtue. In other words, you and I have got to learn to get comfortable with the reality of who we truly are. Don't be afraid to be unedited. Don't be afraid to be unscripted. Don't be afraid to be unmanipulated. Take the filters off, right? Allow people to see the truth and the reality of who you are and what your life really is in all its beauty and its brilliance and in all its brokenness. As followers of Jesus, friends, we really do have to embrace this value and this virtue. We have to be like Paul, people of truth. People of transparency, people of honesty, we have to, I know that cuts across the grain of contemporary culture, but we have to be the kind of people who are willing to own the reality of human experience in all its brilliance and its beauty and its brokenness. So if misrepresentation is the vice, authenticity is the virtue. And then number seven, last but not least, digital deadly sin, number seven is avoidance. Avoidance. 
And avoidance is just simply using your device to avoid human contact. And uh, we've all done this. You know, you're walking through the shops and you see somebody you don't like or somebody you don't want to have a conversation with. What do you do? Pretend to be on the call. Yep, oh, sorry, I'll call you back in five minutes. And you walk past him, right? <laughs> or you're sitting on the couch and you don't want to have a conversation with your spouse because it's a bit tense and something's not quite right in the relationships. So what do you do? You sit there and you play games or you check email, right? Avoidance. We use our devices to get out of confrontation, to avoid difficult conversation. We use our devices to check out of reality. Because sometimes the reality of our lives is so confronting, we just don't want to face it. And so what we do is we leave that reality behind and we venture into a cyber world, into an online space of our own making. It feels a little safer, but you can't live there. You can't stay there. Whatever it is that you're avoiding, that difficult conversation, that complex situation, that challenging relationship, it's not going away. It's going to be there. And so you've got to be courageous enough to face it, to embrace it, to lean into it, to say yes to it. And consequently, if avoidance is the vice, then vulnerability is the virtue. If avoidance is the vice, vulnerability is the virtue. Because it takes vulnerability to be courageous. It takes vulnerability to lean into the conversation, to face up to the situation, to step out of your cyber safe space and face the hardship and the reality of your real life. It takes vulnerability and it takes courage. But ultimately, that's where some of the best work happens. So friends, all of the stuff that we've been talking about this morning, digital distraction, cyber addiction, online outrage all of these things are what we might call socially transmitted diseases <laughs> we pass them on one to another and as parents we transmit them to our kids our kids for those of you who are moms and dads are ultimately going to take their cue from us when it comes to how we use our devices and so I want to encourage you and I hope that in some way the message today is going to challenge you to think a bit more deeply about the intersection of your spirituality and your technology. How do those two things come together and how are they shaping the heart of your home? What impact are they having on your relationships? Because friends, ultimately at the end of the day, what makes life the most rewarding and the most enriching and the most enjoyable and the most memorable is not the latest iPhone. It's not a new device. It's not a bigger TV. It's not the latest app. What is going to make life rewarding and enjoyable and memorable and meaningful are the relationships that we have with the people we love and the people who mean the most to us. And I want to encourage you to just consider this week what impact your relationship with your technology is having on those relationships and how you might take the wisdom of God that we've explored together today and apply it to your life in a way that's going to ensure that that technology doesn't undermine your spirituality or the quality of your relationships so that your life might truly be blessed and a blessing to others in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.